In the holy name of Jesus, amen. Instead of abandoning the world, the Lord wants to redeem it, all of it. And the more and the more that we rebel against him, the more and more he loves us. We suspect that we are due for destruction, but we are instead given deliverance. And this redemption, this deliverance, this forgiveness, this love, it really is inevitable from the moment of our fall into sin. This has always been the plot. This has always been the outcome. That man and God would walk together. So we see that loving beauty overcomes decaying rebellion and hatred. Destruction always gives way to life. Chaos succumbs to order and death to resurrection. Consider that the Lord, when he wanted to show his mercy to this rebellious world, that he chose a small group of slaves living in Egypt to be his people. He chose them to shine before the world to show what he can do and how much he loves us. And ultimately, he chose them to bring forth the Messiah. He brought them from nothing. And then he brought them right there to the shores of the Red Sea. And they were as good as dead. And there they stood, wondering, what on earth are they doing? Completely helpless and defenseless before one of the world's greatest armies. And then the Lord himself opens the sea and brings them through, drowning their enemies, their captors behind them. Then, after years of wandering in the wilderness, he did it again. He brought them to the brink of their own land, bringing them to the very banks of the Jordan River. And there they are, and confronted by the river, the Lord stopped it. He piled up the water in a heap. I don't know if you ever tried to do that, but it doesn't work very well. There he is. And he opens it up. And so they cross on dry ground, every single one of them. It took a very long time because that small slave nation had grown to probably somewhere over a million people by then. Although a whole entire generation had passed during the time they spent out there in the wilderness. But there they were, they who had nothing, and they were given everything by a Lord who in the very beginning hovered over the water and who splits the waters apart and who still shows us his love through water. But it's not all that surprising. God would still find you and choose you and say, hey, I'm going to baptize you. I'm going to give you water. What do you do if you don't have water? Well, you don't last very long. There's speculation that the world's next great conflicts are going to be um, not over oil anymore, but over water. You have to have it. It seems so uh, small to us now, but uh, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. 
And God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not to bring to nothing, the things that are so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. What boasting could there be? What boasting could the Magi have there before the infant Jesus? And so the Lord shows his love through water. After they survived the flood, after the Lord saves the world through water, Noah and his family are shown a rainbow, a sign that the Lord would not destroy the world through a flood again. Saved through water, they are then given a sign that is both water and light, something that we did not actually know about. We didn't understand what a rainbow was until somewhere around 984 A.D. Who saw that coming, that the Lord's sign even was given water in the sky? Well, God saw that coming, that's who. Before we even knew what it was, before we just thought it was a pretty thing in the sky that God put there. The Lord knew, and he uses it as a sign anyways. And eventually we figured it out. And then, having broken the water as a baby, this same Lord came into our world. And not, did, not only did he just come into our world, but he became one of us. We would be horrified. We would be ashamed if we saw him as God. Peter and John fall on their faces when his divinity is visibly revealed to them. His veiled divinity is for our good, and it doesn't make sense to us. So John is our man here. We're standing with John there on the banks of the Jordan River. Jesus comes and he says, I need to be baptized by you. And John says, well, that doesn't make any sense, does it? I need to be baptized by you. That's the story that we would write. But instead, Jesus goes down as one of us down into the water to receive the baptism of sinners with sinners. And then the Father and the Holy Spirit are happy about this. They say, ah, yes, this is where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be down there with them. Right there in the waters with them. They're very happy about this. He walks with us through the flood. He walks with us beneath the rainbow, through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, through the Jordan River, through our birth, through your life, and all the way to your holy baptism. The Lord's great desire is to be with you and to have peace with you, so that you would have peace with all. There is a problem when we see other humans as our enemies. Jesus has come not only to love and to redeem you, but he has come to love and to redeem them too. His solution to our sin is not to hate us, no. His solution to our sin is to come and to draw us ever closer to himself. He doesn't push you away. 
He brings you close. I heard a story a few years ago about these parents who had adopted this child from a Romanian orphanage, and, and he'd never been uh, touched by like anyone. It was just wretched. And uh, he was adopted by this American family, and he had these severe emotional problems, as you can expect, and he'd have these awful fits. He'd never been held by anyone, so he would lash out at his parents. Now, sometimes our reaction to sin is just to sin against that person who has sinned against us. Someone else's sin often uh, provokes or, or results in my own anger, um, my own hatred, my own sin. So, you can just like beat the child into submission. It won't work. Instead, those parents were told to hug the child instead of punishing him. And there is apparently all sorts of data to back this sort of thing up. Uh, a smiting, like, it's not going to earn you very much. Finding out, when I find out that someone hates me, that does not really make me want to love them. So it is, the Lord comes ever closer to you. Even in your rebellion, even when we turn our backs on him, he does not turn his back on you. Instead, he comes right after you. And not just to you, but all people. It is hard to kick against the goads for too long, too. And so when he is nailed to the cross, and when he is rejected by the very people he came to save, even Jesus Christ's last words as he is suffering, he does not even then cry out curses or hatred against them, but forgiveness and mercy and love. Even in his suffering, Jesus Christ, who is love incarnate, still bleeds out love with blood and water. So, if the past is any indication of future behavior, mine or yours or anyone else that we know, my guess is that we will continue to do this sort of thing. Hate God, hate one another. It's no good. But we're kind of addicted to it. And yet, he does not cast you out or away, but pulls you closer and closer. And this seems to be nearly unavoidable at this point. For the word has gone out to the four corners of the earth, that the Lord wants all of you back home again, every single one of you. Instead of abandoning you in your sin and your rebellion, he brings you close and walks together with you. And he even sits and eats with you, hears you, and loves you. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.